does it feel good to be back. It feels so good to be back. After that little bit of a week, it wasn't a little bit of a week, it was a week where I was away, and you're probably wondering where I was, but that's not to be talked about right now. What's to be talked about is I would like to welcome you all to episode 139 of Three Beers In, the best beer podcast ever. That's right, I've said it. I'm sticking to it. If you don't like it, tough luck. I was going to say tough gazungas, but I don't remember where I heard that from, and I don't want to actually... I don't want to take it from anybody, but uh, we're doing tiramisu munchies from Killsboro Brewing Company, and it's going to be the first stout of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause for the people who like stouts. So that's going to be fun. I'm going to be drinking that in a little bit. Yeah, I've been gone. I mean, listen, so this is uh, uh, my wife's finally gone back to work after the being off for so long with the baby and stuff. So we've been adjusting to that, and that's been that's been a bit of a, a sh- struggle, I guess. A struggle is a okay word to use there it's been tough it's been really really hard because you're uh, you just want to sleep and you know you can but it's just when the baby wakes up you're you're getting up too and the the baby don't know no better it's a baby but um so we're trying to figure that out i mean i think two nights ago or last night i found myself in bed at like 7 30 in the nighttime i swear to you 7 30 and then i'm up at two then i gotta get up to work at five so uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's, it's been wonky. It's been crazy, but you know what? That's fine. I'm okay. You know, at the end of the day, everything's wonderful and everything's fine. The baby's great. And she's been baptized, which is really good. Uh, my family reunion was, was, uh, was, was last week. It was two weeks ago. I don't know. I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place and that's okay. You're allowed to be over the place, all over the place when, um, when you've been, uh, when you've been out of the loop for a little bit, but uh, nonetheless, another great show here. Three beers in. Going to be doing the first stout that uh, for the new season here, season two. So I'm really, really excited about that. I think they have it listed as an imperial stout, but I'm going to make sure to double check. So, you know, yeah, I've been out. I've been on this little bit of a hiatus. So I'm going to try to get back into the swing of things, but I'm just going to ask everybody, you know, did you do everything you wanted for the summer? Are you excited that fall is ready? You know, I walked out the door this morning and, you know, I have have two air conditioners on in the apartment and, you know, I get it nice and cold, you know, and um, when I walk outside and I, and I, and the heat just hits me this morning, I just heard myself say practically out loud. Who the fuck asks for that? You people ask for summer. I get it. It's summer. Summer has an allure to it. You know, the cocktails are fantastic. There's no snow and stuff like that. You know, but but who who begs for debilitating heat where your your ass is just sweating all the time? The second I step foot on my stoop, my ass is just Niagara Falls with sweat. It's just immediate. It's an immediate thing. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just who I am. But I mean, this is this is my struggle. So I'm sitting there. I'm just damply walking down the street, and then it hits me. I said, "People beg for this. They want this. They want it to warm up. They want to get hot, so they could go to a beach and cool down there. You got sand, and there's a bre- you I don't. I've never been to a beach where I was like, oh, I'm satisfied with how cool I am right now. No, no. I need an air conditioner." I get it. You're at the beach. It's scenic. I think beaches are beautiful. I, I I love looking at them and stuff like that. But I'm not I'm not saying please summer get here soon so I could suffer and sit in the sand. First of all, fat people and beaches don't go well. I'm gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it how it is. I'm a guy who just says it how it is. When I walk in the sand, 
okay? I go shin deep, maybe more, depending on what part of the beach I'm on, okay? This is why I keep my beach ex excursions limited, because I, I, it is like walking in quicksand for me. Other people are walking on the beach perfectly fine, maybe even taking a selfie. Me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole that my, my weight has, has provided to me. So it's like, you know, I'm in a crater walking along. So just sit me down, I'll dig a hole, and, and that's the end of it for me. Because beach is just, it's, it's, it's too much for me. I'll go to a boardwalk. I can't sink in one of those. That's fine. But again, it's hot as fuck. And so, yeah, you know what? Beg for the summer. I don't give a shit. If you want to do that, I mean, I'd like the cocktails. I'll take a pina colada. I'll take a margarita. I'm a big margarita guy. I really am. I love those drinks. Okay? You may judge me for it. You might think less of me for it. So be it. I'm a margarita dude. Give me those. I'll take it. But I'm not going to sit there and just beg for this heat. I... You know, it's it's very selfish of those that be, that ask for the summer. I want this, and guess what? It's going. Oh, excuse me. I try not to burp on the show anymore. It's going. It's almost gone. Before you know it, there's going to be pumpkin spice, fucking body soap, and all that horse shit. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the pumpkin spice stuff. I'm okay with it. But guess what? Because of the global warming, it's not over for me. Fall's gonna hit. We're going to be October 29th, and it's going to be about 65, and the humidity is going to be 75, and this ass is going to sweat. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's a reason. I was at work the other day, and and, and someone approached me and said, Dom, uh, where, you live around here, right? Like a block away? I'm like, what? No. She's like, oh, well, because I, I saw you in the wintertime. You were wearing just a hoodie. This is because I'm morbidly obese. That's number one. And number two, I've never been good in the heat, regardless of the weight. I've never, I mean, you know, in the, in the, in the, uh, I'm, I thrive in the cold. It's who I am, you know? But then again, when you're, when you're this, when you're this much overweight, it doesn't fucking matter. This is, I'm, we bitch, I'm wearing a jacket now. Okay. Just walking around in this summer heat. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just going off on a tangent here. But in my absence, all right, I've been in my absence here. Um, so, so two things that happened. I had a fantastic family reunion. Very, very wonderful. Got to see the family again. It's just really great. I mean, I have a very, very big family on my mother's side, and just to see everybody is always, always great. And Pete Sullivan knocked it out of the park yet again. This is what he does uh, annually, and because uh, we used to have him in a prison, but that's another story. I mean, just really, really fantastic stuff. And then my baby got baptized, which is which is good. She's been claimed by God now, which is, I mean, that's. You know, I, I you mean it's written down there somewhere that that's how it's supposed to go down. But it was it was neat. It was cool. I had a little very very small thing here at the house. Um, you know, because we're I you know we could have done like a hall thing and everything. So let's just save all that for the fucking first birthday. We'll go all out for that and everything like that. So that was taken care of. <laughs> also, I had a friend of mine at work, a buddy of mine, who put me onto this show called Secession. Oh my goodness! So. This would so for me the moniker of a good show is I have to watch it wherever I am right. There's only been two shows in the history, well three shows, three shows in the history of shows that has made me do that, and it was The Sopranos. I, when I rewatched it, I found myself watching it at work, very risky, and also on my commute because it's so. It was I think I've said it before on here before. It's still so compelling even now today. 
The Sopranos is one of them. The second one that made me do this was The Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House, I mean, fucking was awesome for me. I mean, I know there's some people that don't like horror and stuff like that. I get that, you know. I'm not into jump scares or anything like that because it wasn't very jump scary, but it was very creepy, and I'm into that. I'm into that. If you could make me feel creeped out but not in a cheap way, you're doing a good job. So keep it up, uh, Haunting of Hill House, because they're coming out with season two. And now Secession. I fell in love with this show in the first episode. Whomever made it and whoever directs it, I mean, I'm going to look that shit up at some point and try to find some other stuff that this person's done because they nail it. They are able to capture that elite, rich feeling that happens when, like, I mean, there's a certain disconnect that happens socially that, uh, you know, with these people that are ultra, ultra rich. Like, they just don't, they don't, they're not common. They're just so far out there and so weird that, like, you see that it's a different world. And that's captured in this show. So the acting is fantastic. And whoever was driving this show is doing a great job showing that. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what it's about, it's about a media conglomerate. And then there's a power struggle in there from the old guard to the new guard. Really, really great stuff. I mean, the new, I power watched the first season because my buddy at work told me that there was season two was coming. He actually said season three was coming. So I was like, I got two seasons of this to watch. Let me give it a shot. It's on HBO again. I'm an HBO fanboy. You know that. If you listen to the show, you understand. They make great television. What am I going to do? Um, I powered through the first season. Like, it was just, I couldn't stop. It was just so fucking good to me. You know, everybody has their taste, but I was just enthralled by it. I couldn't stop watching it. And then, now the new season's on, so I got something to look forward to on the Sundays where I could get home and, uh, you know, from, you know, being out or whatever and, and, and have something to watch. I tried to get my wife into it. She started watching it, fell asleep, woke up, fell asleep. So she wants to catch up and watch it, but she doesn't have much time because the next episode's coming and I'm not going to miss it. Um... Yes, yeah, session. And then other than that, just to give you a little bit of a... I do like a bit... I'm going to do like a little opening monologue with the show from now on. I'll do a little talk about what's going on with me, some things and stuff like that. So what else is going on? Listen, I love you all for listening to this podcast. I think it's fantastic. But we got to... Listen, you can't listen about beer all the time. So I have been completely addicted to fucking true crime podcasts, okay? This... This fucking, these podcasts got me so hyped that I even decided for some reason that I'm going to read all of Ernest Hemingway's uh, fiction novels. I'll get to that in a minute, but not the nonfiction because I don't, I don't give a fuck about fishing in Panama. But true crime podcasts, holy shit, all right? So I know, listen, a lot of people that are listening to this show and a lot of people that listen to podcasts in general are usually sitting at a desk, drumming along, trying to get through their day. And they're going to listen to a podcast. Me, mine's an hour long. I get you through, and then hopefully, you know, if you like to listen about beer, then you're out, and then you boom, bing, boom. Maybe you got to go to your next podcast. So I was only listening to, like, Bill Burr, Rogan, you know, and if, if it was someone interesting on Rogan, your mom's house. Um, then I said, let me try these these true crime podcasts, because I listen to Criminal, and I like them, but they're about 30, they're about 27 minutes long, they're quick, and then you go through the seasons really fast, and they don't come up really often, so I was like, let me power through some of these true crimes, and oh my god, dude, it's like watching, uh, like, these forensic file shows and these investigation shows through your headphones, and like, it just draws you in and it just captivates you oh my gosh so the first one i was listening to was like bear called bear creek um highly recommend it check it out 
Just a really quick. I mean, I, I, I don't want to give it away or anything like that, but you know, they're 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 such good podcasts that you want to listen. You want to get draw it in. Hold on, let me see what else I got here, because then I just went on a tangent. I listened to um to Bear Creek, fucking just it was unbelievable. I listened to Over My Dead Body season one. All and a lot of these crimes are unsolved. That's another thing that's crazy about it. A lot of them are Over My Dead Body season one. Now there's a new trailer for another season. Doctor Death from Wondery. Um, Dr. Death, Culpable is another one, which, which was a fucking nuts root of evil, which is crazy. So let me give you a really quick thing about what these podcasts are about. So Dr. Death was about a surgeon who ended up maiming like 33 people before he got caught. I, I, I didn't want to listen to it because of the whole, he got caught thing, but then I did. And it's fucking unreal. They talk to real doctors about the things that the guy did and how he got away with it. It's just unbelievable. They talk to family members of the guy. They talk to. It's just so connected. You're you're so inside of the situations that happen. They're talking to victims. Really, really great stuff. Over my dead body. The first season was about a man who was murdered in his driveway, and then they were trying to figure out how to who who did it, who, who's a who done it type thing. Then they had like this evidence, but the guy. That's another thing. There's, there's, there could be so much evidence against somebody, but it's up to the people, the higher ups to, to go ahead with uh, prosecuting these big words, prosecution, going after these people because you have to prove with beyond reasonable doubt that someone did something. And now these podcasts have fucking opened my eyes to, it ain't like the TV shows. Okay. It isn't an open and shut thing. There's some people that are heavily implicated in a lot of these terrible fucking things and they can't do dick. Over My Dead Body is about that, the season one. Fucking culpable. Oh my God. It's about a kid, about a, an eight, like an 18-year-old kid or a 21-year-old kid whose death was ruled a suicide. But then the family was like, hell no. The guy would never kill himself. Everyone was like, he'll never kill himself, never do that. And then they start unearthing all of this. Inve- they never did. The police department never did an investigation. And they start unraveling all the facts. Fucking kid allegedly shoots himself in the head in the bathtub, like hunched over a bathtub. But he shoots himself like behind the ear. The bullet is somehow just laying in the tub. There's no blood. And the gun magically ends up between his left thigh and the tub. But he was right handed. Made no sense. And then the cops are like, meh. So it's just unbelievable. So culpable. And then Root of Evil. This one was, this one really fucked me up. It was like listening to the Devil Rejects. The Devil's Rejects. Okay? In a podcast. You know, it makes you, that's another thing. When you listen to this shit, it makes you realize that the world is a really fucked up place. Because this Root of Evil thing, it investigates the Black Dahlia murders, which everyone has heard of, but no one, I mean, you've heard of it, but you can't give me any fucking details. They talk about it in the podcast, but it's just unbelievable stuff. After you listen to Three Beers In, you know, visit uh, Three Beers In, give us five stars, and also go to threebeersin.com and show it to all your friends. Then tell people to go check out these fucking true crime podcasts because they're trippy as fuck. I'm not even joking. Okay, and now we're going to move on to our hop of the week, ladies and gentlemen. And let's spin that wheel. Zavir is spinning. And what do we get? Golding U.S. I forgot to do the harps. Oh, that's a botch and a half. But there's the harps, and it's Golding U.S. So let's see what that's about. All right. Golding U.S. Golding U.S. hops are descendant 
from the original East Kent Golding Hops. In North America, they were first grown in British Columbia and then appeared in the state of Washington in 1993 and Oregon after that. Oh, they are no longer grown commercially in Canada. That's interesting. That's a weird thing to pop in there. Uh, They feature a subtle bitterness when used as an early addition, but are predominantly used for their quintessentially English flavor and aroma. That's it. Characteristics here are a delicate English-style aroma, fruit, and herb. Uh, the purpose for them is aroma, and we can tell by that because the, the alpha acid composition is 4 to 6%, and the beta acid composition is 2 to 3%. So now, before I jump into the beer news, because this is fairly short, um, I've told you before, we're going to be doing stout, a stout today on the show. Now, this is a, the stout style is something that's been ignored big time on the show, and that's something that I need to change. Okay, stouts are a big part of the craft beer community. I did some some research. Holy shit. Hang on. Where the fuck's my bag? Hold on. I did some, I crunched some numbers here. Hang on a second. I wrote it in my notebook. I forgot to take it out. Give me one second here. This is real time. It's a one-man show. Where is it? Fuck. Shit, I didn't write it down on here. Where the fuck is it then? Hold on a second, because I did a little... I procured some... Okay, here it is. I wrote it on here. Perfect. Perfect. Stouts, right? Some people love them. Some people hate them. But the most uh, but most craft beer enthusiasts believe there is simply a time and a place for them, which is something that I believe in. I think there's a time and a place for stouts. Uh, if ales of all types are the Coca-Cola of the beer world, then stouts are definitely the Pepsi. I don't know why I'm reading this, but I decided I was going to just jot some things down about stouts to talk about during the hop of the week situation in case it got a dud. Even if I got a, didn't get a dud, I was going to talk about it. And I started writing, and it kind of started reading like a um, like an article, but I would never try to write an article because I am incoherent. Uh, three beers in, Mount Rushmore is broken down into ales, lagers, and stouts. Ales, lagers, stouts, and seasonal. I went on to Beer Advocate to get an idea of the stout to IPA ratio. And as I suspected, IPA alone, and that's not including the other ales, make up 64,399 individual listings on Beer Advocate. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they've all been reviewed. That just means that they're listed. Man, this is such little letters. i got to try to really get in here. Uh, all stouts combined yielded all the stouts. That's Imperials, English, you know, American stouts, dry stouts, all, all stouts. Uh, yielded a respectable 27,752, which placed second, okay, against loggers and pilsners, which was 22,803. So there are, so if ales is number one, uh, you know, IPAs, pale ales, and all that are definitely number one because you had 60, over 60,000 IPAs alone, you got stout second. I wrote here that stouts are the yang to the ale ying in our niche community that is so special. And then I started writing, I actually started trying to write an article, it seems here. I, I said that the birth of the stout came in the early 1700s. Oh, fuck. That's not good. I can't put that there. The birth of the stout came in the early 1700s in, in, um, in London, uh, England, uh, where the porter style of beer was all of the rage. But they... Um, they started, ooh, they started getting phased out, and, and they were making porters a lot stronger, and that's where the term stout came from. It's basically a strong porter beer, but nonetheless, 
the Stout Porter became the name, and then they dropped it and just named it the Stout. So, uh, what did everyone? Oh, this is cool. How did we go from Guinness Dry Stout the, uh, to Grandmother's Old Blueberry Pie Imperial Stout? Because the Brave Home Brewers got to work experimenting with stouts. Because drum roll, please, they are ales. Stouts are ales, ladies and gentlemen. Just in case you didn't know. And what do we know about ales? You can do a lot of crazy experiments with them. You can, you can, I mean, pale ales and, and uh, IPAs and double IPAs and hazy IPAs and IPAs. There's a ton of different things. And you could do that with the stouts. Time and time again, I've explained on this podcast that ales are much easier to work with than lagers. And hence, we are blessed with a multitude of tastes from all over the flavor spectrum when it comes to stouts, which is why. I'm going to be, I'm not going to say I'm going to be lenient when it comes to rating these beers. I'm going to be fair because I remember, I remember Rob had this age old thing of saying that if it didn't taste like a beer, he wasn't going to rate it in a proper way, or he's going to give it a harsher rating. I get that. I think if a beer is way too over the pop, uh, over the top, where if it's like glazed donut a la mode, mocha, uh, jellyfish, Okay, so then I'm gonna be like, oh, I could taste the sea in this one. No, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. It's gotta, it's gotta have a certain quality to it. But uh, other facts, I'm putting the thing down now. Other facts that I know, just real quick about stouts, you get that dark color because the malts are roasted, um, giving it a uh, usually a coffee or chocolatey or just roasty flavor in general. And um, I'm pretty excited to just now that I'm now well. I'm just going to do stouts now, ladies and gentlemen, from now on. From now on, stouts are on the list. And now we are blessed because, well, ble hashtag blessed. Let me just really get into here real quick. So I saw that Killsborough had their stout out. Stout out, that sounds cool. And when we look on the bottle of the can here, it was canned on March 19th, 2019. So March, April, wait, March, April, May, June, July. So it's about five months old. So it's it's been out for a little while, but nonetheless, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to do. I think it's gonna be do. And it says here tiramisu munchies, imperial tiramisu stout with lactose, vanilla beans, coffee beans, and cocoa nibs. Cocoa nibs. It's ten percent this bad boy, and it comes in a tall boy can. And I think what I'm gonna do because hold on a second. I hope you can hear me because I got a sound gate. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna crack this bad boy open. Get it into the glass. Another thing that happens with some stouts is they get better as it warms up. And right now, as you as you may have guessed, the yeah, the ass is extra swampy because it's fucking hot down here. Beer's cold. I'm gonna pop this one open. Drink this bad boy while we do the beer news, and then uh, the other one is gonna be for the review. Tall boy can popping it open right now. I was drinking Stella Artois out of the bottle before I did this one, so. Definitely going to be a big difference here. And because it's hot as balls down here, this beer is going to get warmer as time goes on, and that might affect it in a great way. Who knows? Whoa, that smells really delicious. I'm not going to get too far ahead of it. I'm not going to go... There's a beer review portion for a reason, ladies and gentlemen, but we're going to get into the beer news right now. <laughs>
ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm a little bit late to the party, but uh, you probably know this by now, but InBev has acquired Platform Beer Company. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Budweiser has agreed to acquire Platform Beer Company, which will join Anheuser-Busch's Brewers Collective as its newest craft partner. Yuck! Craft partner bullshit. Platform Beer Company is the fastest-growing regional brewery in the United States in 2017, known for their diverse portfolio of unique beers and an innovative approach. I don't know if we ever did one of them on the show, but I know they were at Beverage Island beforehand. Platform founded in Cleveland by local entrepreneurs Paul Benner and Justin Carson began in 2014 as a homebrew-inspired brewery devoted to the community outreach and education. Still carrying community values at the core of their business today, Platform is known throughout Ohio for their taproom customer experience and vast beverage portfolio and award-winning innovative products, creating more than 200 unique beers per year. The brewery's unparalleled creativity and experimentation has resulted in more than 600 recipes that include a variety of unique seasonal sour ciders, fruit ales, barrel-aged beers, and a line of hard seltzers. In speaking with the other craft, fa- uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in speaking with the other craft brewery founders and Brewers Collective, we know partnering partnering with Anheuser Busch means we have the resources and the autonomy to bring our vision for platform beer to life. You, you mean you weren't living your dream as it was? So wait, you form in two thousand seventeen. Or 2014, and you're and you're already you're already selling out. Yeesh. Uh, being able to continue leading the day-to-day operations was an important factor in our decision, and we have no doubt that this partnership will benefit our loyal staff and passionate customer base. Yeah, you sold out. You're getting bigger. You made a lot of money, and now you're going to be able to make even more money because it's going to be distributed out, and you were contributing to the evil empire. Fuck you. Platform owns and operates four facilities in Ohio. Their flagship flagship Cleveland tasting room is 60 barrels. You had 60 barrels. 60 barrel Cleveland-based brew house tasting room in Columbus. So you're all over Ohio, and now you want the world. They invested $130 million into this company. So we lost another one, everybody. Another one bites the dust. This one's Platform. It is what it is. They're going to keep doing this. InBev is going to just get to the people who could just grab them, and then and then that's the end of it. That article was from uh, StreetJournal.com, by the way. This next one from uh, TheDrinkBusiness.com. Um, sober Curious Movement is gathering speed in the U.S. The hell does that mean? The Sober Curious Movement is gathering speed in America, with two-thirds of millenni- millennials seeking to lower their alcohol consumption, according to new Nielsen data. Nielsen reports that 47% of the U.S. consumers over the age of 21 are making a concerted effort to reduce their alcohol intake, a figure that leaps to 66% when looking specifically at millennials who are driving this change in drinking habits. I don't see a problem. I drink every week. And more. The rinse is the rise in the rinse. The rise in mindful drinking is forcing restaurant and bars to get creative with their non-alcoholic drink offerings to meet a rising demand for sophisticated soft drinks. What? Kombucha, kefir, botanical tinctures, drinking vinegars, and cold brew coffee are growing in popularity and offer bartenders a chance to get experimental with their virgin serves. That's interesting. Nielsen reports that alcohol consumption in the U.S. has been relatively flat over the past year, while sales of no and low-alcohol beer, wines, and spirits are on the rise. 
Wow. And the aunt, am I going to be out of business soon? No one wants to listen to a beer review show if you're having a kombucha. Whoa. In the on-trade, no low, in the, in the on-trade, no and low alcohol beer is the fifth fastest growing beer type in the United States. We were talking about that the other day. Well, last episode with the, um, with the hard seltzers. Oh, I'm so surprised that people like more hard seltzers. Um, uh, 77 million according to those. Uh, in the U.S., retail, meanwhile, non-alcoholic drinks are worth $7 billion more than they were four years ago, with sales growing by $1.1 billion last year alone. Yes, it found that 54% of cons- consumers abstained from alcohol at some point last year, with half of those being said, oh, that's okay. This is from Joe Rogan's Sober October. That's all. There's nothing to see here, folks. There's nothing to see here. When Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan's podcast, himself, Bert Kreischer, Ari Shafour, and Tom Segura, I believe that was all of them, did the Sober October, and it and it made the uh, and it stopped a lot of millennials from drinking. Don't worry, everybody. Everything's gonna be fine. Three beers in is gonna be okay. If I have to move on to kombucha, I'll do so. But I'm sure I'll shit myself. This is from modernfarmer.com. I never thought I'd ever read an article from there, but. I do talk about hops a lot, and this one here says that New York farmers hope to discover new hops by Alex Robinson here. Uh, the state uh, has seen a mini resurgence of hop growing in recent years, but it's farmers, but it's the farmers that face stiff tump, uh, competition from West Coast growers when it comes to hop varieties. I, 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 I think I can see what's going on there. New York hop farmers are looking to discover wild varieties, varieties of, amara- of the aromatic plant to try to stay competitive with growers in the Pacific Northwest. In the 19th century, New York was the center of hop growing of this uh, hop growing industry in North America until a blight of downy mildew devastated many of the area's hop farms. Uh, the state's commercial hop farms peaked around 1890 when they produced 21 million pounds of dried hops for 40,000 acres. Uh, after prohibition closed down New York's breweries, the industry moved west to Idaho, Washington, and Oregon, where we're on 97% of America's hops are still grown today. Wow, that's interesting. To feel the effects of prohibition here in New York State now, especially when it comes to the hop growing, that's pretty cool. New York has seen a mini resurgence of hop growing lately thanks to the explosive popularity of craft beer. That's right, baby! As well as recent state regis- uh, legislation that has provided incentives to breweries for buying local ingredients. But growing hops in New York is still not without its challenges. One of the largest hurdles its growers face is that they are unable to grow some of the more sought-after variety of hops that have been bred and trademarked by growers in the Pacific Northwest. That does happen. To counteract this issue, hop farmers in New York have been participating in a project run by the state's chapter of the Northeast Hop Alliance, which has been looking to identify feral and wild hops to potentially trademark as their own. The Sorry... Windows. The project, long-windedly called (gasps) Advancing New York's Hop Industry with Unique Varieties and Quality Assurance, that is pretty long-winded, has been uh, been collecting hops found growing in the areas of farmers' properties. The hops are then sent away for DNA test analysis to verify if they have unique varieties. They're also analyzed for their beer-producing quality and whether they have disease resistance, because that's what hops is all about. And we don't need no more downy mildew ruin our shit. 
We'll get some uh, we'll get some unique flavors that brewers will get used uh, get to use versus simply just what's available in the trade already. Says Steve Miller, the executive director of the Northeast Hop Alliance, who is overseeing the project. New York growers say many brewers are looking to brew New England style India Pale Ales with uh, proprietary hops such as Mosaic and Citra, which um, has made it hard to sell certain public varieties. Um, they have grown. Breweries are looking for those hops that uh, they really don't understand how to make beer. Wait, wait. Breweries are looking for those hops, and they don't really understand how to make a beer similar to a New England-style IPA with our local ingredients, says Chad. Chad Mears, who's been growing hops in his farm, The Bineyard, in Casanova, New York, for nine years. Mears, I'm just going to call him Chad. Chad found a feral hop on his property after a hunter knocked on his door a few years ago to tell him that he saw hops growing in his woods, and he is now waiting to get the results back from the project to see if he has a unique variety. The program launched last year uh, after it received $33,000 in funding from the New York Farm Viability Institute. Uh, Miller said the project has 15 clones that are currently being analyzed. Some of the hops discovered through the project have already been in the process of being trademarked, but Miller could not say how many. A normal plant breeding program for hops can take 8 to 10 years and require large sums of money. But the current project will shrink the usual time and money needed to develop uh, new varieties as it's evaluating wild seedlings. This is getting a little long, but we'll see what happens. Maybe there could be some crazy proprietary, there's going to be a three beers in hop. They'll take my name and they'll just run with it. The one beer podcast that New York wanted, but didn't ask for. The next question, uh, the next thing we have here. Oh, this has been big because of the whole CBD craze. I know you've heard of this. I know you've heard of CBD, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I've had some CBD. That's right. I ordered some from a website. I don't know if I could say their name on the air without getting in, not trouble, but, you know, getting in some sort of uh, thing. But I ordered some CBD to see what would happen because people say that it, it reduces anxiety. It makes people feel nice. There's no THC, which will make you feel like you're having a head high, but you're going to feel very relaxed and you're going to actually feel much better in your joints and everything. You're going to reduce swelling and you're going to sleep better and your anxious is going to go away. I don't know if it happened. I took the CBD. I did feel a little bit better. I'm not going to lie. I felt more calm. I felt more grounded and stuff like that. And at the same time as uh, I was taking this uh, bottle of CBD that cost me $40 for 20 of them, very expensive, I thought, what if this is just one big giant fucking placebo effect? So someone go out there and get me some Haribo or Haribo fucking gummy bears and tell me that there's CBD in it so I don't have to spend so much money. But drink up, stoners. This is from TheVerge.com. Big alcohol is pouring billions into the drinkable marijuana market. That was a tough one because I didn't know why I didn't know. But is that how everyone wants to get high? Hmm. In 2019, and big, it's 2019, and big alcohol. Oh, this is written by Amanda Chicago Lewis. That's actually a good name, like a good author name. It's 2019, and big alcohol wants in on legal pot but only on its own terms. One by one, the largest beer companies in the world have announced their intention to create drinkable marijuana products. Now, this automatically screams to me that the federal government is going to legalize marijuana soon, okay? There's no way 
that these companies are going to pour billions, it says here, billions? It says billions? Right? Did it say billions? I'm going to say it's going to be put. They're putting money into it. There's no way. There's no way that that's like these companies are not going to do that unless they have guarantees. So brace yourself for an onslaught of alcohol-free weed beers and weed seltzers and weed fruit punches. But there's only one problem. No one really wants or likes cannabis beverages. In legal adult-use marijuana markets, infused beverages make up a mere 2 to 3% of total sales. But the alcohol industry really and truly believes it can convince us that we want to consume weed in the same way we consume alcohol, gulp by gulp. Why are they fight? Why would they be fighting their way into the marijuana market if it's not going to be legal soon? Molson Core CEO Mark Hunter has said drinks could soon make up twenty to thirty percent of cannabis sales. That's right. He thinks he can increase the demand for marijuana beverages by a factor of ten. Last year, Molson Coors took on uh, took a controlling stake in a joint venture with a licensed pot producer in Canada called Hexo. Anheuser Busch InBev put fifty million towards a similar joint venture in the British Columbia-based Tilray. I think Rob made a little money with Tilray. Heineken-owned Lagunitas already sells a hop-flavored pot-infused sparkling water at California marijuana dispensaries in partnership a Sonoma's kind of craft. And Constellation Brands, which includes the Corona and Modelo, threw down nearly $4 billion, the biggest investment in the history of weed, on a 38% stake in the largest Canadian marijuana producer, Canopy Canopy Growth. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. Full disclosure here, and I know that one day my daughter might listen to this podcast and people in my family listen. I've dabbled in marijuana, okay? I said it. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Sue me. So sue me. I've dabbled in marijuana. Yes, I've smoked it. I inhaled. All right? Don't want to say anything against the Clintons right now because I'm going to get whacked. Anyway, yes, I inhaled, ladies and gentlemen, and I also ate it once. Now, for a person that wasn't totally against marijuana getting high, it was a nice time. I felt good. I enjoyed it once in a while. I wasn't a habitual smoker, but I did it recreationally. If it was pe- if the duchy was past the left-hand side, I partook. There was a situation once where I was given the opportunity to have an edible. An edible. Which is similar to what this is, if it's going to be in the beverage form. I heard stories, and I thought to myself, wow, look at this. I can eat this little bit of brownie right here, and it's going to get me high, which is a nice feeling. Okay, if those of you have partaken, if you haven't, there's nothing wrong at all. It's okay. Whatever. I'm going to get me a little high. It's going to get me a little high, right? So I take a little bite of this, and they're like, it's going to take a while to kick in, all right? So how long is a fucking while? You're sitting there 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. 40 minutes you're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing's happening. Literally, when I hit the the half hour mark, I said to myself, this shit is fucking dud. It doesn't work. I'm not getting I'm not getting high. I don't feel anything. This is stupid. So I put my head back on the couch and I went to pick my head up and it didn't move. And I was fucking gone. Okay? 40, about 47 minutes later. I announced to the room that my brain has flown away. I literally, my, my people still laugh about it when, they, when, they, when we reminisce about it. They heard me say, 
My brain has just flown away. Because I had to let everyone know. But I'm with this girl in this article here. Nobody wants to... Listen, edibles are... I don't know who's into the edibles. I'm not, I never got into the marijuana culture or anything like that because I know there's a big culture around it and everything like that. But I'm not, like, I'm not the type of person that wants to take marijuana, okay, and then sit around for 45 minutes for it to kick in. Who wants to do that? This is America. And when in America, I want to get high right now. Why do you think meth is so popular and stuff like that? Porchdrinking.com. All right, this is an article by David Nielsen. Oktoberfest lagers, Marzen Fest beer, and Automal Confusion. Now, this is true. There are some beers out there that they call them fest beers, and you have your Oktoberfest, which are Marzen's. And um, we're going to see what this gentleman has to say about that. And he also has a website, davidnielsenbeer.com. Again, this is on porch drinker, porchdrinking.com, so he wrote for them. He wrote, it's the beginning of August, and by the exonerable laws of seasonable creep, that means it's officially Oktoberfest season in tap rooms and bottle shops across the country. And he's definitely right about that. Flagship has just announced on their Twitter, and they, I mean their, their Instagram, that they've come out with their Roganfest beer. Which is listed, I believe, as an Oktoberfest Marzen beer, but... It could also be a fest beer because I think they use they 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 use rye and they use um, like Munich malts. I think I could be wrong, but it's a pretty cool can though. If you check out their website, I mean, excuse me. If you check out their social media, you'll see that it's got the Staten Island turkeys all over. Excuse me, excuse me. It's got the Staten Island turkeys all over it, and they look really really neat. Hold on. Ooh, most folks assume the word Oktoberfest on a beer label or tap list, uh, refers to a particular style, but it's actually a little more complicated than that. Let's talk about how we got here, and then go into the details of what makes what an Oktoberfest lager. Uh, love lager and horse racing. Oktoberfest, okay, so I'm going to give you the history here. He gives the history, and we're going we're gonna to read it here. Oktoberfest started with the wedding of Crown Prince Ludwig and Princess Therese, of Saxony in Bavaria in October of 1810. The wedding celebration was open to the entire populace of Munich and included plenty of drinking, eating, and as I'm sure we all fondly recall from our wedding receptions, horse racing. It was so much fun, they decided to do it again the next year and then every year thereafter. Beginning around 1870, the style served at the Munich Bash was Marzen, but around 1990... Fest organizers began pushing a style known as fest beer. These two closely related substyles together make up the world of Oktoberfest. And as I found out, as this gentleman found out, when he started talking to brewers for this article, not everyone agrees on what's a what when it comes to these autumn lagers. Let's get technical. Let's first look at how the Beer Judge Certification Program, which I refer to all the time on this show, style descriptions... Uh, differentiate the styles. According to the BJCP, Marzen is an elegant, malty, German amber lager with clean, rich, toasty, and bready malt flavor, restrained bitterness, and a dry finish that encourages another drink. Fest beer, by comparison, is described as a less intense and less richly toasted Marzen. Classic Marzen should have a little darker and a little richer, a little heavier, and a little higher alcohol than a fest beer. Basically, Margen is just a little more. 
The switch to lighter fest beer occurred specifically to allow Oktoberfest attendees to drink more beer. So that settles everything, right? Not so fast there, Ludwig. I like this guy. I'm going to follow him on Twitter. Uh, if you've been around many American brewers, you know that uh, they like to bend the rules a little bit. I've asked some respected brewers around the country about their about what distinguishes these two styles, and their responses didn't exactly follow the rigid guidelines above. So it seems to be by location in this great country that we get different beers. Autumn in Chicago. I'm going to give you the honest answer, said Hagen dost Hagen dost I bet you were teased being called Hagen das as you were growing up. Owner and brewer at Chicago's Dovetail Brewery. Sometimes we uh, give a damn. Sometimes we don't give a damn about styles, he says. His own Oktoberfest lager, which is sold under the name Fest Beer, pushes the upper limits of the BJCP's description of a Marzen. We decided on what we wanted as the end product as far as appearance, aroma, flavor, and mouthfeel and designed a beer around that, he explains. In the case of our Oktoberfest, what we really wanted was a feeling of fall. And to us, that means it lands right between light amber and light brown. It's got a kind of an off-white head and a very durable foam. It's got a good look to it in the glass. Uh, Dovetail Fest beer is with all the breweries, um, as with all the breweries, lagers, is brewed with a traditional test technique that most brewers have abandoned in the name of convenience. Brewed in March as the original Mars. And, oh, because this is important because this is, this is like what the essence of the Oktoberfest is. Brewed in March as the original Marzins would have been. The word for March in German is Marzen. The, beers, the beer uh, uses a complicated double decoction mash that undergoes in its initial cooling in a cool ship before heading to a horizontal lagering tank for a long slumber through the summer months. The unfiltered beer pours clear thanks to that extended lagering. So what would happen is, they didn't have that refrigeration type system, obviously, in those days. And they would have, they would lager the beer in like over the summer, but in the mountains. Like they would bury it almost to just try to keep it, to keep it, uh, to keep it cool. October in Ohio, um, that's the sediment echoes uh, they have their own sediment. knowing the Germans knowing how Germans think in general, I think they would have they would say they're the same fest beer in Oktoberfest says Haggerty, who is in charge John Haggerty, who's in charge of the warped wing Brewing Company in Dayton, Ohio. He has oh wow, he began his brewing career over twenty five years ago by training in Germany. Haggerty brews Lagerstadt which is an equal amounts Pilsner and Vienna malt, eschewing a darker and richer Munich malt. He wants nuttiness and toasty breadiness that Vienna provides while maintaining crisp drinkability. I would love to try that. These beers can't be too heavy, he says, but you're still drinking a shitload of it. Oh, God, that's great. So it just goes on to say that, hey, man, why don't you just go ahead and drink some beer? So now... I really hope you like the beer news. I'm pretty excited. I want to give that uh, Rogan Fest a try as soon as possible, and um, and then see maybe Killsborough will come out with a uh, with a um, Oktoberfest type beer that we could uh, have on the show and chat about. But now it's time to talk about this beer right here, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said before, we are drinking uh, from Killsborough the Tiramisu Munchies. And uh, real quick, let me just try to bring them up here. Um. Hang on. 
Oh, here it is. Oh, it's an imperial stout brewed with lactose and conditioned with cacao, cacao, cacao nibs, and coffee beans. Um, so it's a 10 percenter. And, um, oh, it's 10.5. And hold on one second. Let me, let me finish this one, and then I'll crack open the next one. So, whoa, that's not an easy one to chug, ladies and gentlemen. So give me one second. Okay, so the can presents really well. It's like a, it's like a, um, there's like rolling hills of brown uh, lumps. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but it's got like tiramisu uh, caked all over it. I love tiramisu, by the way. So we're going to crack this bad boy open and pour it out into this can. So it is a beautifully inviting, dark, dark, dark black color. I mean, when you pour this in, I'm going to do a little bit of an aggressive pour at the end here. It's just completely dark. You can't see through it. I got about a finger and a half ahead. There's that's there's got the floaties, maybe two fingers ahead. It's got the floaties in it, which is a thing that happens when you put the lactose in the beer. Um, a really good color, a really inviting color when it comes to a stout. Um, there's only really one color when it comes to stout, and it's uh, it's black. It's got an off, it's got a brown head to it. But um, yeah, that's all you can really say when it comes to appearance when it comes to stouts, right? Now let's give it a nose here. I immediately get oh wow, hold on. I immediately smell the chocolate and a little bit of like a coffee. It smells so inviting and sweet, but it also, sm it's got a great malty smell to it. Not too much anything in terms of hops, naturally. I'm having a tough time getting a smell on this. Hold on one second. Okay, I'm, I'm, it's like a, it smells like a really inviting cup of coffee and it has like a sweet aroma to it. Almost like a hot chocolate smell to it. Let's go for the taste. An incredibly smooth and rich mouthfeel. I mean, this is like one of the most creamy mouthfeels I've ever had in a beer. And the flavors are just burst. Oh, wow. That's really interesting because on the very back end, there is a strong, strong bitterness. That is um, pretty surprising with this one. Not too boozy. I mean, it's a 10, 10.5%. It's masked very well here. There's a, a really, really wonderful bitterness. I mean, a sweetness in the front. I'm getting, I'm getting like a caramel flavor. I'm getting like a, a little bit of the vanilla. I'm definitely getting the coffee there. The, the roast is really, really strong in this one. The, what's shining, what's really um, interesting about this particular beer here is the bitterness on the back end. I think it's really, really interesting and like, it's it's inviting though. Okay, so on the back end, when you do a little bit of the palate slap, the num num num, 
There's a little bit of a booziness there, but not too much of a burn, you know? This is actually fairly pleasant in terms of like, um, in terms of what we got here. We got another sip here. Oh man, let me do one more, hold on. Okay, this is actually, this is a really in, pretty interesting beer. It's, 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 I was expecting something a little bit more uh, crazy, you know? It's like a velvety, smooth, low carbonation sweetness here. It's a bit of a caramel there. Not too, too much coffee. I just really like the the bitterness on the back end. And there's like a chocolatey characteristic there. I mean, it's hard. I guess the thing I'm trying to say here is that it's just got such an excellent balance to it. You know, when it comes to the to the taste, the maltiness is is great with the sweetness. It's not overly sweet. It's not like I'm having. It's not like I'm going to get sick from this. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm going to feel like we uh, queasy from drinking too much of this. But I think this is like a. It's a sweet stout, but. Oh man. Yeah, on the back, on the, for a while, if you don't take a sip for a little bit, that alcohol is there. I mean, the the the, it's not bad though. I'm not taking that's not taking away from this beer. This is actually a very solid, solid stout for like what you're getting here. I mean, does it taste like tiramisu? Not real, not really. I mean, come on. I would have preferred a beer with a little less. A little less alcohol, but that's just me. But the way this goes down is just awesome. I mean, it is silky smooth. I'm going to try to think of a rating to give it right now. It's an 8.9. Literally an 8.9. Isn't that something? Hmm. It's 8.9 only because of just how darn good it is. It's inviting you to keep sipping it. Yeah, it's it's hot as balls out right now, but this is really fucking good. It's got an earthiness to it, a dryness to it that I really, really enjoy. Because, like, you know, you got to cut that sweetness. It's not overly sweet, but it's just so mellow and balanced throughout the entire process of this beer. The entire time you're drinking it. This is a pleasant one. This is a very pleasant beer to have. I, I encourage everyone to go out and get it. I really do. So, you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to make our Mount Rushmore. I don't know if I can find a stout as good as this one. Hillsborough Tiramisu Munchies. Find it wherever they're selling kills, bro. These guys are knocking them out of the park. This is an excellent, excellent, delicious stout. And I think you should all give it a shot because it's so good. It's, it's, it's I can't get over how smooth this beer is. It's a pretty, it's a decently sized beer. Like, it, it's big. 
But man, do they do a great job. I'm going to really take my time with this second one because. Oh, man, hold on. Oh, dare I say, dare I say, breakfast stout from Founders. My gosh. I got to talk to these. I gotta talk to these guys from Killsboro, man. I wanna I wanna get on I wanna get them on this show. I wanna talk beer with these fellas. This is delicious. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I really want to thank you all for listening. I had a really fun time doing this podcast tonight. I gotta go up now and find my child and make sure she's well taken care of. I have a laundry list of things to do from the wife for the baby. I'm really happy to be back. I'm gonna catch you guys next week. Oh, by the way, make sure. Do all of your fantasy football research now. The drafts are coming. Football's right around the corner. Pumpkin spice footballs. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to catch you all next week. That's the wrong music. Sorry about that. Where's the thing here? Where is it? Oh, this is it. This is the music. So sorry, guys. Uh, Catch you all next week.